Um, and of course, you can hit us up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Um, as we usually do on the uh, Tuesday breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station, uh, we're going to be speaking about three main topics uh, after we go uh, through the current affairs. Uh, the first segment for the day is uh, International Day for Human Fraternity, uh, which is celebrated on the 4th of February, just in a couple of days. So we're going to be speaking about that today. Um, after the news, uh, we're going to be discussing the dis- dissimilar uh, particles pairing up a unique discovery in quantum entanglement. Um, and then last but not least, we're going to be discussing um, how parents may be caring too much about their children's uh, milestones and uh, it might be causing them unintended harm. Um, so this is what, what we're going to be discussing in the last uh, uh, segment for the day. But before we get into all of that, uh, Daniel, how are you doing this morning? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing good. Yeah, while coming here, it was, you know, really chilly outside. Yeah. Uh, feeling cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, exactly. But um, but uh, fortunately, uh, we, we don't have to um, uh, uh, defrost our, our, our cars and things of that sort now, isn't it? Before, a yeah. couple of weeks ago, it was like a daily routine, isn't it? As soon yeah. as you wake up and you need to go to work, you need to do that first, uh, maybe pour some water on uh, on the windshields and stuff as well. But uh, but now uh, at least it's come to a stage in which we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Still, you know, defrosting your your car is kind is kind of a bit hassle for you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. I think yeah, it's a bit of um, really uh, not worry, but you know, kind of you know, yeah. When you have to get up from from your bed, yeah, and go to work for, <laughs> yeah. for in the in the morning, yeah, it's really kind of you know struggle exactly in the morning exactly. Uh, speaking of the weather, um, what's it looking like for today and uh, for the rest of the week as well? So speaking of the weather for today, so according to BBC, this morning we'll see cloud and light rain clear in the south, and it will then be dry for many uh, with sunny spells. Scotland will have frequent blustery showers which will fall wintry over high ground. Uh, for tonight, um, the north will be cloudy and very windy with heavy showers or longer spells of winds, uh, which will fall as snow over the high ground in Scotland. Southern, southern areas will remain dry with clear skies. And for tomorrow, on Wednesday, um, it will be cloudy with, uh, with spells of rain across northern England, southern Scotland and northern Ireland. Drier in the south with sunny spells, but it will turn cloudier in the afternoon. Um, outlook for, for Thursday to Saturday. So um, Thursday will be cloudy in the north with a band of heavy rain spreading eastwards. Variable cloud and drier in the south. Uh, Friday will be mostly cloudy uh, to the west with showers or, or spells of rain, especially in north western Scotland. 
um, on, on Saturday, uh, a band of rain will move across the north, uh, followed by showers in northern Scotland later. However, the south will remain drier. So that was, you know, a brief um, weather for, for the coming week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it's, it's not, not looking too bad then, isn't it? Uh, yeah. it, it is getting better yeah. uh, as the days progress, uh, as we are getting into February now as well. Mm. Um, let's get into the current affairs. Uh, the newspaper headlines. So the UK economy to shrink uh, and parents in a limbo. Uh, the Guardian is among several of uh, Tuesday's papers, leading with a report from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. Uh, Britain is expected to be the only G7 nation to see its economy shrink this year, according to what the paper has said, uh, is citing a sharp growth downgrade, uh, quote unquote, from the IMF. It expects the UK economy to contract by 0.6%, which uh, contrasts with earlier estimates of 0.3% growth. And the IMF report is the leading story for the Financial Times, uh, whose front page features a graphic showing the UK's projected growth in 2023 compared to the other G7 countries. It reports the IMF's warning that Britain is the only leading economy likely to slide into recession this year and that household spending will falter. The Daily Mail uses its front page to urge the government to cut taxes and go for growth in light of the IMF report. The paper describes the economic uh, forecast as grim and says it will put more pressure on ministers to cut taxes. Uh, But as uh, the Daily Telegraph reports, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor are resisting calls to cut taxes. Uh, with Jeremy Hunt stating the last week that inflation needs to come down first. Economy to shrink after tax raid, says IMF, is the paper's headline, uh, adding that the IMF's growth downgrade for the UK reflects higher taxes and interest rates. The Times leads with the news that teachers' strikes will take place in England and Wales on Wednesday um, after talks between unions and the government ended with resi- without resolution. It reports that parents are being left in limbo after unions told members to keep head teachers in the dark, quote-unquote, um, as to whether they would be part of the walkouts. The shocking state of the NHS leads Tuesday's Daily Express, which cites uh, a report that found one in four patients wanting to see their GP failed to secure an appointment within one month. The paper cites uh, analysts um, from the Office for National Statistics which surveyed more than 4,700 households in December. It found that 23% of people wanting a GP appointment failed to get one and 39% were offered a phone, were offered a phone consultation instead. Mm-hmm. Yep. The uh, Daily Mirror reports an exclusive interview with former Labour leader Neil Kinnock. Uh, he warned you about the Tories 40 years ago, and now he's warning you again, quote-unquote, the paper says, uh, referencing a speech he delivered uh, days before Margaret Thatcher won the 1983 general election. As the speech approaches its 40th anniversary, uh, Mr Kinnock tells the paper that the words of warning he spoke at that time 
um, are now so close to reality. And um, the cost of living crisis makes the front page of the Daily Star, uh, which leads with the news that Britons are cutting back on toilet roll to save money. Alongside the headline, uh, we have really hit these kids. The paper illustrates the issue with images of Lou Roll and the promise of seven sheets of free Daily Star Borg Roll inside. Mm-hmm. Um, N-word shame is the headline from The Sun, which leads with an apology from a Chelsea football player over a video posted on social media last year. A representative uh, for Mikhailo Mudrik uh, told the paper he was deeply sorry for any offence caused by the video posted on his TikTok account last July. They said the papers, uh, the player's use of the N-word was solely to recite lyrics of a song, adding that the clip has since been removed. Um, and that is uh, the front pages for the day. Um, w- w- Daniel, was there anything which uh, specifically caught your eye um, in, in regards to these front pages or even from within uh, some of the newspapers today. Yeah, as we're saying that the IMF, you know, uh, is expecting UK's economy to, you know, contract. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be down in, in the coming year. And uh, it's kind of really worry for each and every individual of the country. Um, and uh, there is a specific article regarding uh, UK uh, major economy to shrink in 2023. And um, it's by... Uh, BBC, which says that the UK economy will uh, shrink and perform worse than other advanced economies as the cost of living continues to hit households. Uh, the IMF has said the IMF has said that the economy will contract by 0.6% in 2023, rather than grow slightly as previously predicted. Um, however, the IMF has also said that after the autumn uh, statement, it uh, it thinks that the UK economy is now on the right track. Um, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt said the UK outperformed many forecasts last year. In its World Economic Outlook update, the IMF, which works on stabilized economic growth, said the UK's gross, uh, the UK's GDP would shrink rather than grow by 0.3% this year. So, uh, the IMF said its uh, new forecast reflected the UK's higher high energy prices and financial conditions such as high inflation. Um, and he said the the revision reflected the fact that we have a very high chance. Um, a very challenging environment in the UK, uh, which he said was caused by high energy prices as well as high dependence on liquid natural gas. And um, in the last um, overall, in general, in nutshell, uh, the IMF uh, estimated uh, global inflation passed its peak and uh, will fall from 8.8% last year to 6.6% in 2023 and 4.3% in 2024. Uh, it's kind of a worry for us as well, but uh, if you look uh, at the bigger picture, um, the mm. coming years, uh, it kind of look, you know, 
still decent or moderate but uh, kind of worrying still for the government and for the people as well yeah no, no, most certainly most certainly um in other news we see uh pakistan mosque blast uh, more confirmed dead in marathon search of uh, rubble uh, this was updated an hour ago on the bbc uh, news website um, the death toll has risen to at least 87 people after a mosque suicide bombing which targeted policemen uh, in the Pakistan uh, province of Peshawar. The mosque is within a high-security police headquarters area um, and a probe is underway into how the bomber got in. Pakistan's MP and other leaders have condemned Monday's attack, uh, one of the worst in the country in recent years. Uh, the Pakistani uh, Taliban has denied involvement after an initial claim by one of its uh, commanders. Terrorists want to create fear by targeting those who perform the duty of defending Pakistan, said uh, Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif. He declared a national day of mourning. On Tuesday, uh, rescuers were still scrambling to retrieve uh, worshippers buried in the rubble, uh, with a spokesman uh, telling the BBC the operation would continue for another three hours. The rescue operation <clears throat> has been uh, going on for more than 18 hours, Muhammad Bilal Faizi has said. The bodies of 20 people, 20 more people have been recovered and it's feared that some bodies may still be under the rubble, uh, quote-unquote. The BBC saw ambulances racing in and out of the compound every few minutes. A hospital spokesman uh, confirmed that more than 100 remained wounded. Uh, meanwhile, funerals have been carried out for more than 20 police officers their coffins draped with the Pakistan flag. Between 300 and 400 police officers had been in the area at the, at the time. Peshawar Police Chief Muhammad Ijaz Khan earlier told um, local media. The mosque is one of the most heavily controlled areas of the city, which includes police headquarters and intelligence and counterterrorism uh, bureaus. Uh, Mr. Sharif said those behind the attack had nothing to do with Islam, quote-unquote. He added uh, the <clears throat> the entire nation is standing united against the menace of terrorism. The Pakistan Taliban, uh, a group separate uh, to Afghanistan's Taliban government, ended a ceasefire in November and violence has been on the rise in the country since. Uh, we can see even in December, it targeted a police station like uh, Peshawar in the northwest of the country, leading to the deaths of 33 militants. Uh, Monday's uh, blast took uh, was around 1.30 um, for a local time and 8.30 GMT during afternoon prayers in the northwestern city, which is near the country's border with Afghanistan. A video circulating on social media um, and verified uh, by the BBC shows half of a wall caved in. The mosque was covered in bricks and debris um, as people clamoured over the rubble to escape. Um, and then after uh, hours after the blast, BBC News witnessed a facility full of the injured, many still wearing their police uniforms. Um, so that is uh, what we can see over there. We can You can see, um, if you go to the BBC website, um, you can see where the mosque blast was, where, uh, how close it is to the police lines, police hospital, central jail, the government buildings, provincial assembly, the high court as well. So it's, uh, it's, it, and it's very close to the... To the um, to the um, capital as well, to Islamabad, um, just uh, a little bit away. But uh, but yes, it's uh, terrible, isn't it? What we can see yeah, um, really happening shocking. over there. 
Yeah, we can see that, you know, for example, in an Islamic country, we can see that uh, such things are happening. And on the other side, we find such a beautiful example of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu and uh, the, um, the beautiful, uh, you know, the Sharia uh, from the Holy Quran. We find that in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says that um, if a person, if a soul kills uh, a soul, uh, it is like he has killed the whole mankind and uh, if uh, if a person saves a person saves another soul it is like saving the whole mankind so now you, you know that uh, we can see that how much uh, islam emphasizes on on saving a person and um, uh, tells us that how much it is violent uh, to and uh, it is violent to uh, kill a person so we we find many examples and uh, we find the teachings beautiful teachings of islam which guides us uh, to the right path and uh, it is the islam which uh, the empty muslim community try to profess in the most beautiful and best possible manner and uh, certainly uh, it's uh, it's a bit of kind very shocking news for each and every person whether he's living in pakistan or living outside uh, as a Muslim, uh, we feel um, uh, very, you know, uh, disheartened, and um, um, certainly it's it's a worry for the Islamic world as well. Uh, we should pray for our fellow beings as well. Yeah, no, no, most definitely, most yeah. definitely. And like you said, uh, the teachings of the Holy Quran, in which Allah the Almighty has clearly told us that. Uh, the saving of one person is is akin to saving the whole of humanity, the whole of mankind, and mm. the killing of one person is uh, akin to killing the whole of mankind. And this beautifully um, uh, tells us and illustrates to us how important it is for us uh, to look after the sanctity of life. Mm. Um, oftentimes, uh, we 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 uh, we hear people making light of uh, of such an important thing and and not caring about their own lives or about those uh, around them. And this is this is against the teachings of Islam. Islam has taught us that we need to look after um, our uh, look after our ourselves because our even our bodies for instance it's this is a trust that god almighty has given us he's bestowed upon us but at the end of the day this is something that we are going to return it's not about uh, simply doing whatever we wish with it uh, uh, it's our bodies we can do what we want with it but uh, Allah the Almighty uh, he demands this back from us after our demise and so we uh, it is essential for us to look after it um, in the best of manners we should eat um, good food um, um, which is beneficial for us we should uh, drink uh, good fluids as well we should drink plenty of water um, and have a healthy and balanced diet, um, and even uh, we should we should exercise as well. The uh, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He told us that a strong believer um, is better than a a weak believer, and the reason for this is because if we uh, are uh, if we do have uh, a healthy lifestyle, if we are uh, do have a good amount of strength within us then of course we will be able to do hakukul ibad in a better way yes, and hakukul ibad is in uh, an uh, islamic term coined um, and, and what it means is the 
the rights that we owe to humanity, the rights that we owe to mankind. And uh, when we look at this, uh, it, 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 it tells us and it explains to us how we should go about our lives and the things that we should be doing to benefit others, not just ourselves, but uh, other people as well. Um, but yeah, it, it just goes to show, just coming back to, to that main um, um, article as well, that uh, it's, it's, it's important for us to look after the sanctity of life and, and give it its due importance as well. Yeah, certainly beautifully explained that uh, every soul has a sanctity and uh, they need to take care of not only um, uh, each other's but also uh, the body has the right to to the owner as well and uh, you have uh, explained beautifully that uh, we need to take care of, of our um, of our diet of, of which fluids we take and uh, we should be taking balanced diet and we should be uh, we should not ignore any you know harm uh, any harmful effects uh, any harmful things which may affect uh, in a negative way uh, to our body so um, each or every little things matter in in the, in the life of uh, um, each soul so um, certainly um, the, the coming back to the article uh, that tragic incident um, we should be worrying and the most important thing the key factor is here we should be praying for our fellow beings yeah yeah the, that's the um, you know the biggest um, um, you know the weapon we have got in our hands um, and this is what the teachings of Islam and uh, the teachings of, of the founder of the MD Muslim community the promised Messiah who taught us that um, this is your biggest weapon try to use and utilize this weapon in the best possible way and uh, so we are you know um, uh, sadly um, uh, treading on that path uh, which where we are seeing the you know the um, the you know the effects of uh, world war and um, um, uh, unfortunately, it's a very unfortunate incident, and uh, we should pray. Be, we should be praying that we don't go to that point uh, where we have to see the uh, negative effects of uh, world war in any way. Um, so we hope and pray for the best. Yeah, yeah, no, no, most certainly, most certainly. Uh, just one last article, I think, before we move on uh, to our first main uh, topic for the day. Police response to Hillsborough report uh, due later. Um, the Hillsborough disaster and uh, and police to respond to Bishop's report um, later on, I think, during the day as well. Um, the police will be the first major public body to respond to a five-year-old report uh, on the Hillsborough disaster. The National Police Chiefs Council and the College uh, of Policing will publish a joint response later on behalf of uh, all police forces in, uh, in England and Wales. They are responding to a report published by the former uh, Bishop of Liverpool, James Jones, in November 2017. He was asked to review the experiences of the family to ensure their pain and suffering was never repeated. He was commissioned by the then Home Secretary, uh, Theresa May. Uh, Bishop James Jones has criticised the fact that the government's, uh, government is yet to be, uh, respond to his report. Uh, he said, I think we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the families. This year, 
sorry, this year it'll be 34 years since the tragedy and it's over five years since the government had the report. For them to wait for so long for a response to these 25 points of learning is intolerable uh, and adds to their pain. I think in some instances it even affects their own grieving. Um, is uh, is what he said. 1997 uh, Liverpool supporters were unlawfully killed as a result of uh, a crush on the terraces at the Hillsborough Stadium at the Sheffield Wednesday ground in April 1989. Uh, that is the incident and, and that is what the report uh, demands as well uh, in, in regards to that. One of those who died was 18-year-old James Aspinall his mother, Margaret, has campaigned for justice along with uh, other bereaved families. She said, I remember writing to someone in government to say, I hope this report doesn't get put on a shelf, gathering dust for years like other things in the past have done. Uh, we are now into 2023. How long does it take to read a report to come out with your findings um, of what you think should happen? The response uh, later... <clears throat> So the response later on Tuesday from the NPCC and College of Policing is understood to include the first ever apology on behalf of all 43 police officers, um, forces in England and Wales. Um, it would also summarise progress made by the police to respond to many of the bishop's recommendations, which included a charter for bereaved families and improvements in the identification of disaster victims. There are calls for um, there to be a Hillsborough law which uh, would help victims um, of future mass tragedies. A government spokesperson said <clears throat> the, uh, the Hillsborough disaster was a devastating tragedy and we've recognised the significant impact it continues to have on those effective, uh, affected the families and communities. Um, <clears throat> our full response to this report uh, will be published in due course and we will engage with the Hillsborough families prior to publication, quote-unquote, and that is from the BBC News. Yeah, certainly. So uh, the, that was the news and the papers and uh, the weather report so far. Uh, now we will take a short break and uh, we'll come back to you. His Holiness, Hazret Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the present head of the community, continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom. He has traveled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings. During these tours, His Holiness has met world leaders from the Far East to Europe, from North America to Africa, discussing the economic, social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world. He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals universal to all religions and cultures with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color or religion. He has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam 
which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Just a quick time check for you. It is 35 minutes past 7 on Tuesday, the 31st of January 2023. Um, and as a quick reminder for you, the three topics that we're going to be speaking about today. Um, the first hour, uh, right now, we're going to be discussing the International Day for Human Fraternity. Um, and like I said uh, earlier as well, it, that is celebrated on the 4th of February. Um, and hence, we'll be talking about that uh, today as it is just in a few days now. Um, the second uh, topic is going to be dissimilar um, particles pairing up. A unique discovery in quantum entanglement. And last but not least, we're going to be speaking about parents caring too much um, uh, about their children's milestones and if it's causing them unintended harm. Um, so that is the last topic for the day. Remember, if you do want to get involved, if you do want to contribute to the show, uh, you can always do so. This is your radio station and we do love for you to voice your opinion as well. So do pick up the phone and give us a call. 0208-687-7878. And of course, you can hit us up on our socials as well. Like I mentioned earlier on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Um, so just getting straight uh, into this, uh, the, the, the first topic, the Secretary of uh, UN, Antonio Guterres, is uh, announcing the commencement of International Day for Human Fraternity, said deep concern regarding acts uh, that advocate religious hatred and thereby undermine the spirit of tolerance and respect for diversity, especially at a time when the world confronts the unprecedented crisis caused by the coronavirus disease, um, the COVID-19 pandemic, which requires a global response based on unity, solidarity, and renewed multilateral cooperation. And in these times, we need, perhaps more than ever before, to recognize the valuable contribution of people of all religions or beliefs um, to humanity and the contribution that dialogue among all religious groups can make towards an improved awareness um, and understanding of the common values shared by all humankind. So this was <clears throat> the quote that we took from uh, U UN Secretary Antonio Guterres um, uh, in this regard. Um, and we'll be speaking uh, more about why this day is celebrated, what is the significance of celebrating this day, tolerance and respect and uh, are, are subjective in pre present times, and so what we can do to change the mindsets of people, along with, of course, many other things as well, uh, and we'll be talking about what Islam teaches us in this regard. Um, but first, we do have with us on the line Sidratul Muntaha. Um, Sidra has a master's degree uh, in biotechnology, has worked with various NGOs in Pakistan for minority and women rights. She is currently volunteering at Muslim Television Ahmadiyya International, MTA, Canada Studios, and the Voice of Islam radio st uh, station over here in the UK as well. Uh, Sidra, uh, being a member of a religious minority in a home, in a home country, 
faced persecution and social hatred and had to leave her country. To promote mutual respect, respect and love, she has made love for all, hatred for none, the motto and purpose of her life. Assalamu peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi peace and blessings be upon you and all your um, uh, listeners and Zakula for having me. Likewise, Zakula, thank you for for being with us today. We're speaking about a very interesting topic, the International Day for Human uh, Fraternity. Um, and the first question uh, that we wanted to uh, ask you in this regard, I, I think before we get into our main main questions for the day, we should understand and our listeners uh, should understand why uh, this day is celebrated in the first place. So could you shed some light on that, please? Um, yes, sure. So this day uh, was uh, um, voted by many of the United Nations countries to be celebrated to um, spread mutual respect, love, uh, towards different religions, races, countries, and nations, so that um, all the nations and countries can coexist, which we've seen in recent times that it is not happening and it is causing um, havoc throughout mm-hmm. the world. Uh, you just mentioned before uh, before this topic that um, there was a blast in Pakistan in a mosque and something, something that can actually... Uh, you know, um, initiate such such uh, incidents is uh, is a lack of respect and lack of uh, tolerance. So this is what this day is all about: to be tolerant towards others, no matter how different they are, mm-hmm. uh, so that we can coexist in peace. Yeah, perfectly said. Um, Sidra, uh, we mentioned in your introduction as well um, that coming from uh, Pakistan and maybe you had to face some persecution as well. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what is the significance uh, also of celebrating International Day for Human Fraternity? We've underst- understood why uh, we celebrate it, but, but what's the significance uh, behind it as well? Just before I answer your question, can, can I just say that um, the sentiments like hatred and persecution, someone till the point that they have to leave everything behind, leaves uh, marks and uh, pain for lifetime. And if you can just become a little more considerate towards others, that, you know, if they're different, sure, they're different. We don't like that, it's okay, but we can still live with that, can um, can create so much peace in the world, mm. and we would, be, we would be surprised, you know, by seeing that how much difference it, it makes in the world and I think that this is the significance of celebrating, celebrating this day I mean not just to celebrate this day but to actually understand the soul why we are celebrating it. It, it, it it is not just another day of the year that we just celebrate we give speeches we listen to speeches and you know just go to our homes and um, continue what we're doing so it needs our action that we actually start respecting others, that we actually be, uh, start being um, considerate and caring towards others. And when we look at Islamic history, the Charter of Medina is something I can think of that was written under the guidance of the Holy Prophet, and the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that how beautifully he protected the rights of minorities, not just Muslims, all other minorities and all of the different religions, and how he let, uh, I mean, there, there's, there, I love this example that how the Holy Prophet let non-Muslims pray inside, inside, uh, uh, inside the mosque. That, you know, this is how tolerant we are supposed to be as, um, 
as Muslims, as uh, as humanity, you know, in general, because Islam is a religion of uh, a religion for all, a religion of nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we just if we just look at how uh, God has created this world, um, uh, signifies signifies the importance of this faith that we should be we should be respecting others, we should be uh, tolerant towards others. Mm. You must most most certainly couldn't agree more. Um, you mentioned that we need to respect others, um, and often, well, whenever we see the news, you'll come across uh, incidents and you'll come across articles in which uh, an individual, wherever he may be or she may be throughout the world, um, they will carry out some sort of injustice uh, when it comes to a specific race, when it comes to a specific religion, when it comes to a specific people. Um, when we see such things uh, and when we hear such things on the news um, currently and we're bombarded with such information, how can we as a society uh, respect others more? And how can we, you mentioned tolerate people as well. How can we tolerate people more? You've given beautiful examples from the history of the uh, of Islam and of the Holy Prophet Muhammad. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. What can we inculcate within our day-to-day lives to ensure that we also tolerate and respect other people as well? That is that is such an important and beautiful question that you just asked. That um, uh, I'll give you today's example that my niece was uh, watching the news and uh, there was an incident, a racial incident happened in the U.S. very recently, mm-hmm. and uh, she couldn't she couldn't understand that you know what was happening because she's just ten years old and. Uh, from an individual's point of view, what could I what could I do was that I explained her the situation. I explained that how uh, such incidents happen because of the hatred, because of someone thinking that uh, other person is going to do uh, something just because they're you know they have certain uh, certain skin tone or certain um, get up or certain uh, uh, you know they're wearing something particular that is you know just a point of a point of a uh, uh, a proof for them that they're going to do something bad. So we just, you know, just um, silence them right away and right then. I told the ki- children, I told the kids that this is not right. This is something that Allah Ta'ala, our Creator, does not allow us to do because we cannot judge someone from just their appearance. This is, this is, I mean, uh, uh, we cannot, uh, we cannot. Uh, uh, just uh, judge others based on uh, their appearance, and I think it it needs to be it needs to be started from an individual level. We need to we need to tell our children if something is happening um, which is not just or which is not fair uh, around them or around us. We need to tell them that this is not right, so, so that from very very early age they understand that what justice and what being fair means to. Um, uh, uh, means and how they should act when they go out in the society. So I think uh, the the first uh, point of action is from individual level, and then it goes to other societal governments and uh, countries. You know that mm-hmm. it starts from an uh, a grassroots. Uh, I mean, it's just it's it just the uh, that we need to change our mindset individually, and mm-hmm. then we need to teach our children. We need to tell whoever is around us, that this is not right. If something like that is happening around us, if someone is being unjust, if someone being unfair, if someone is persecuting, no matter how different they are. I mean, uh, let's take an example of a garden. If a garden is full of uh, 
so many different colors, so many different flowers. It looks so beautiful, right? It it is so uh, appealing for our eyes. And mm-hmm. if we see a flower, a garden just uh, made up of one color, um, are we gonna like it? I mean, uh, for me, definitely not. It's not gonna be that appealing to me. So God created everything around us so so different, yet so um, in harmony that it teaches us that this is how we are supposed to coexist. And if we don't learn to do that, to respect others, then there's no way that we can coexist. And we're seeing that, we're seeing that the, the effects, the results of that thinking uh, in world today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why it says in the Holy Quran as well that he's created us in tribes and sub-tribes uh, so that we can recognize uh, one another. And that's uh, it's such a beautiful way in which he's explained to us that despite our differences, there are things which we can and should be learning from one another as well. Uh, so that are beautifully put there. And, and, and I agree with your point completely in which he said that uh, we all need to start somewhere, right? Whether, whether it's in our homes, with our children, uh, with whoever. Uh, whoever is within our circles and in our bubbles. Um, We need to first educate them and then the wider society as well. And that's why no matter what the issue is, of course, today we're talking about human fraternity. We're talking about uh, understanding one another, tolerating one another, respecting one another. Mm -hmm. But whatever the topic may be, we always need to start somewhere. But you might find yourself asking uh, or telling yourself that, oh, well, uh, I can't make a difference. What uh, what difference is one individual going to make? But like you said, within our own spheres of life, whether it be just uh, limited to our partner, to our siblings, to our children, our parents, our peers at school, school or at work, wherever it may be, um, we can make a difference. Even if you educate one person, that person will be able to then uh, tell that um, and relay that information to other people as well. So it's it's all about starting somewhere. Um, and of course, we will uh, achieve our goals as well. The last question that I wanted to ask you was, is world peace a dream or is it still achievable? And what part uh, within this does religion uh, play? Um. Uh, in my opinion, if the humanity is still existing in the world, um, if they're still alive, then uh, there must be a possibility of living in peace with others. And for us, for Muslims, uh, we have this beautiful book, the Holy Quran, the Word of God, that gives us the perfect pathway to peace, which teaches us that not just to be just and fair with Within, 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 with our Muslim brothers and sisters, but just with every single human being, and not just human beings, even with animals. So, uh, you, you, earlier you talked about hakukulibad, the rights of other beings. This is something that we need to we need to start acting on um, to to attain world peace. And uh, I, I believe so that it is definitely definitely in reach the world peace is definitely in reach but the need is to start from individual level start understanding our responsibilities more than our rights because that is what we all think that this is our right this is our right we need to everyone needs to fulfill our rights mm-hmm. but when it when 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 it comes to our responsibilities this is where we lack right this is where we start thinking to you know we can skip this we can skip that if someone is not doing that why should we do that so it is just that ripple that that needs to start. That needs to start from some point, at some point, from somewhere, from someone, so that it creates a a huge wave that would that would um, cleanse the water 
that we're living in right now. But I, I do hope, and um, with the guidance of our of the head of the community and the Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Mazroor Ahmed Sahab, I think we can definitely do that by uh, fulfilling our responsibilities and by respecting others. God willing. Not willing, of course. Um, that is the ultimate goal, uh, beautifully put there. And I, and I, and I think His Holiness, not just I think, I know His Holiness, may let strengthen his hand, um, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Azim Azamasul Ahmed. He always um, speaks about this and he doesn't just uh, speak about it in, in our internal um, gatherings or audiences. Rather, he, he goes out of his way to write letters to world leaders, um, throughout, like I said, throughout the world, um, and he goes to different parliaments and different countries to give addresses as well. And he always speaks about how world peace is achievable, is still attainable, uh, and he gives us the steps that we need to follow for that. And if we if we take heed of that information that he has given us, it's very simple things, but it's all about cutting off uh, your ego from yourself. And uh, doing what's right, not just for yourself or just for your own vested interests, but rather for the world at large. And when we follow those uh, those pieces of guidance, those pearls of wisdom from His Holiness, uh, I believe um, w- w- with my heart, with, with full sincerity, that world chief, uh, world uh, peace uh, will most set- certainly be achievable. Uh, Sidra, thank you. Jazakallah for being with us, for answering our questions. And uh, we hope you have a delightful he- uh, day ahead as well. Thank you so much for having me and God bless you. Likewise. Exactly. Assalamu 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. That was Sidratul Muntaha. She has a master's degree in biotechnology, has worked with various NGOs in Pakistan for minority and women rights. Um, she is currently volunteering at uh, MTA, Muslim Television Ahmadiyya International, Canada Studios and Voice of Islam Radio here in the UK. Um, being a member of a religious minority in, a, in her home country, she faced persecution and social hatred and had to leave her country um, for that as well. To promote mutual respect and love, she has made um, the motto of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, love for all, hatred for none, her own uh, motto, of course, as well, and the purpose of her life. She was sharing her thoughts with us uh, and her insights uh, in regards to this um, very important uh, topic. Um, Daniel, um, we, we, we've, we've discussed why this day is celebrated and, and Sidra mentioned that as well. Um, what is, uh, and, and obviously we have sp- spoken about this as well, but just coming towards the end of this first, uh, first hour, uh, as a reminder for our listeners who may just be tuning in, what is the significance of uh, celebrating this day? Um, so the United States, uh, so United Nations, so the United Nations General Assembly uh, proclaimed 4th February as the International Day of Human Fraternity uh, with resolution. And um, at the core of all the faith systems and traditions is the recognition that we are all in this together and uh, that we need to love and support one another to live in harmony and peace in an environmentally sustainable world uh, our world continues to be set uh, to conflict and intolerance with rising number of uh, refugees and the internally displaced in a hostile and unwelcoming world around them 
we are also unfortunately witnessing uh, messages of um, of hate spreading discord among people so you know rightly um, said by by the our experts and uh, with the call we just received that um, uh, we need to be able to uh, create such an environment uh, such uh, in which you know uh, we can uh, coexist um, uh, whether uh, irrespective of any culture any any race um, any ethnicity uh, we need to create such an environment where we can you know uh, tolerate and respect each other and uh, this is the only way which uh, you know which can signifies um, the of celebrating this day yeah uh, yeah certainly most certainly mm-hmm. and uh, mubariz we obviously this is not just something that uh, islam teaches uh, islam does go to to a whole nother level and to a whole nother extreme when it comes to um tolerance and uh, and uh, and and coexistence uh, with it, uh, with with different religions with different races with different people um but w- what do other religions say first of all um and then moving on to islam and 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 get shedding a bit more light about what islam teaches us in this regard yes Amir. so um we can see from different quotations from from different religions as well um i mean a quote from from dalai lama is the purpose of religion is to control yourself not to criticize others just that one um one quote and and that one teaching is is so significant that if a single human being um was to understand what it actually means and how they can bring a change about by actually just controlling themselves and what they say and and how they treat other people Will make a huge difference. Um, there is a, a verse from the Holy Quran, um, which is, "O mankind, we have created you from a ma- from from a male and female, and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes for the sake of easy recognition. Verily, the most honourable among you, in the sight of God, is the most righteous among you. Surely, God is all-knowing, all-aware." that's from chapter 49 verse 15 and a teaching which we find um a saying of the holy prophet the the, the founder of of the religion of islam um is that he he um he said that uh, you are brothers and sisters you are equal no matter to which nation or or tribe you belong to and no matter what is your status you are equal um the 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 saying of the holy prophet is is as follows um that all people were born equal and that a white person uh, was not superior to a black and nor a black person is superior to a white um now that one uh, part of the quote also really shows and teaches this kind of equality that islam actually brings in at an era where um they you know there was slavery and there was the arabs were at the the pinnacle of of the state of of um um of 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 doing all bad and being all wrong yeah um so bringing that teaching in at that time really shows how islam is actually um a founding stone for bringing in equality into our lives and 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 how we're seeing it in 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 the modern lives of 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 uh, the future as well Yeah, no, no, certainly. And the Arabs, uh, they they were such a 
a boastful uh, people and they had so much pride um, over their, the, the, the tribe that they would belong to mm. and even uh, think of their, themselves as, as, as the most superior just because of their Arab lineage as well. Um, and for the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, for him to address them and say this to them uh, is is a huge thing in itself. Um, but if we actually take think about when he said this, uh, this was actually his farewell uh, sermon, the last uh, address that he ever gave before his demise. Um, and uh, in this, he he spoke about that. He could have spoken about worshipping. He could have spoken about anything. Um, but he gave it. Uh, he gave this so much importance that he uh, actually was talking about this as well. Um, this does bring us to an end for this first uh, hour. Um, we're going to be joining you in just a short while again, um, and then we're going to be speaking about two more very interesting topics. So don't go anywhere, and join us after the eight o'clock news. Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. You're listening to myself, Samar Daniel Ahmed and Mubariz Amini. Um, and just a quick time check for you. It is two minutes past eight on Tuesday, the 31st of January, 2023. If you are just tuning in, uh, we do have some very interesting topics for you. Um, in the first hour, we were discussing International Day for Human Fraternity which is celebrated on the 4th of uh, February. Um, now we're going to be going into dissimilar particles pairing up, a unique discovery in quantum uh, entanglement. And last but not least, we're going to be discussing how maybe parents, uh, when they care too much uh, about their children's milestones, it might actually cause them unintended harm as well. Um, so just uh, like I said, if you are just tuning in, then you can listen back to the first topic uh, that we addressed uh, after it goes onto our website on SoundCloud um, at www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Uh, but getting straight into this um, second uh, topic for the day, um, Daniel, what is this uh, uh, all about? We're talking about dissimilar particles pairing up. Um, what's the what's the gist uh, of the story? So it's a bit very different uh, topic um, um, associated with uh, science. Mm -hmm. So the gist of the story is um, physicists at uh, Brookhaven National Laboratory, uh, BNL, have discovered a completely new type of quantum entanglement, the spooky phenomenon that binds particles uh, across any distance. Um, in, in particle collider experiments, the new entanglement allowed scientists to pair inside atomic nuclei in more detail than ever before. So, uh, if uh, uh, going on to, the, on to this article, uh, further, the article further talks about the observations of um, quantum entanglement as it states uh, usually that they are made uh, between pairs of photons and electrons uh, that are identical in nature. Mm. However, the team of BNL 
has discovered quantum entanglement in pairs of different particles for the first time. Uh, the end of the article uh, talks about how the discovery might pave the path, uh, pave the way for new technologies, uh, such as the approach used by the scientists to see inside the nucleus of golden ions. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, some uh, there are few terms, scientific terms used in this article. So for 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 the viewers, for the listeners, for our listeners uh, to be able to easily understand, um, what is uh, quantum entanglement, Mubaiz? Um, if you can just explain us. So um, it basically it 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 describes how uh, two subatomic particles may be inextricably bound while being separated by billions of light years despite their great distance a change in one will have an effect on 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 the other yep uh, and we're going to be speaking about what islam teaches us in this regard in uh, just a short while as well but before we do so uh, we actually spoke with dr P- peter caradona um who's completed his experimental dissertation in 2011 in uh, matter antimatter interaction at the australian national university canberra at uh, canberra uh, australia he completed pro- uh, postdoctoral positions at the max planck institute in uh, heidelberg germany in 2022, Dr. Peter was granted a UK Global Talent Visa and is now applying his theoretical knowledge to help guide simulations and experiment in a newly formed multidisciplinary group under the title of Mega Electron Volt Quantum Entanglement Fundamental Tests and Application of MEV Scale Photon Entanglement um, based at the University of York and headed by Professor Daniel Watts, and this is the conversation that we had with him. So could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to choose this career? Yeah, sure. Well, funny enough, I was actually a cabinet maker for 13 years before I changed course to become a physicist. Um, The inspiration to become a physicist happened when a family member gave me a science book for my 25th birthday which was titled The Cosmos, written by the, by the late great scientist Carl Sagan. I decided then I, that I wanted to be a physicist, and I went back and finished my last two years of high school in Melbourne, Australia, where I'm originally from. And then I was fortunate enough to be accepted at the University of Melbourne, where I completed my undergraduate degree in physics and statistics. Amazing. Can you please tell us about your current research project, um, Mega Electron Volt Quantum Entanglement? Sure. Well, let me begin by letting your listeners know that Mega Electron Volt is an energy range, and it's a short and it's a, and it's short way of saying we are looking at high energy particle entanglement. So, presently, my focus I'm focused on gamma ray entangled photons. Now. Just to give you and your listeners an idea about the energy scale we are dealing with here, the gamma ray photons we're studying have approximately 10,000 times more kinetic energy than visible photons our eyes use to see things with. And at these high energies, the gamma rays behave more like particles of light and less like waves of light. So now getting back to your question, 
I'm currently addressing a controversy that's arisen in my field, which concerns the question of what happens to the entanglement between pairs of entangled gamma ray photons if one of these photons scatters. A recent article assumes that if one of the entangled photons scatters off something, this will immediately break the entanglement between the two photons. If this does actually happen, then the two photons will behave like independent particles. Now, if I can use an analogy, the two photons will then act like a pair of coins, if you will. So, as we know, tossing one coin and getting heads will have no effect on which side the other coin lands on when it's tossed by someone else. It's something like that. That's what we mean in physics by independent particles. Now, this is a contentious issue within my field and a very important question to, re to resolve because the answer to what exactly happens to the entanglement if one of the photons is disturbed as, in, as implication, particularly in the field of nuclear imaging, where there is a race between several groups, including ours, who are in investigating how to use entanglement to extract novel information from a cancer detecting device known as positron emission tomography, or PET, PET scan for short. So I have something to say about this in a journal article that I'm currently in the progress of writing up. Right, looking forward to reading that. Um, what's the difference between similar particle entanglement and dissimilar particle entanglement? Right, so let's first imagine the simplest case where we have a pair of similar entangled particles. The word similar in this context just means that we have a pair of particles that belong to the same category of particles, like, for example, a pair of entangled photons. And when we say similar here, we mean it's possible to still distinguish which photon is which if, say, for example, they differ in the amount of kinetic energy they have, or they have some other distinguishing properties we can use to tell them apart. On the other hand, when we say dissimilar, this just means that the pair of entangled particles belong to different particle categories, like, for example, a positron entangled with an electron or a quark entangled with an antiquark. So in, the, in the, this similar case, it's much easier to tell them apart because compared to the similar case, the pair of the similar particles are of the same type. Right. Pairing of dissimilar particles via quantum entanglement sounds quite fascinating, but what does it actually mean and what future research avenues can it open? Right. Well, let me first point out that the production of dissimilar entangled particles is nothing new in the world of experimental particle physics. The entangled positron-electron system and the entangled quark and antiquark system that I just mentioned a good example of dissimilar entangled particles that are routinely created in physics laboratories. But up until now, though, these mismatched entangled particles weren't known to interfere with one another. Now, you may be wondering what do I mean by interfere with one another. You see, in the quantum regime, particles have this particle wave duality that you may have heard of. 
The way uh, the wave aspect of particles can cause interference that changes the probability of the strength of a quantum effect, causing the effect to be either enhanced or diminished in strength. So these interference effects act kind of like a volume control dial. It's kind of like what we see in water waves passing through each other, where sometimes the overlapping waves add up and become a bigger wave, and sometimes they can combine to cancel out completely, or something in between. So up until now, setting up these interference patterns involved having two wave-like particles that are indistinguishable from each other. So, for instance, if we go back to thinking about creating a pair of entangled photons, but this time they are identical in every way possible, so much so that there is no way of distinguishing which photon is which. Now, these interference patterns don't typically occur in pairs of dissimilar particles, even when they're entangled. That is up until now. The discovery um, at the Brookhaven National Laboratory, where these interference effects between dissimilar particles have been observed, are said to already be revealing finer structure of the atomic nucleus. Now, to give your listeners a sense of distance scale, they're probing here. If an atom could be expanded to the size of a football stadium, say, then the nucleus would still only be no bigger than the size of a single blueberry fruit, right? So the researchers at the Brookhaven are talking about probing the atom at tiny distances that are, that are difficult to imagine. Now, the researchers at Brookhaven tell us that what this means in practical is the ability of performing measurements of atomic nuclei that are 10 to 100 times higher in resolving power compared to previous measurements. Now, to me, this new discovery is analogous to upgrading from the Hubble Space Telescope to the more powerful James Webb Telescope. But instead of seeing deep outer space, the researchers at Brookhaven will be using entanglement to see deeper into inner space. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm no expert in the strong force, but I do understand that there is still much left to know about how the strong force keeps protons and neutrons together within the nucleus. It's suggesting to me that this new discovery should help increase their understanding of the strong force, since the latest reports from Brookhaven tells us that they can actually see the difference between where the protons are and where the neutrons are inside the nucleus. So, having said all this, I think it's not my place to predict what the practical and fundamental implication this discovery will create. I think this question is best left to the experts at Brookhaven. The most I can say to anyone who is interested in this subject is that to stay tuned. Great. Can change in the state of one entangled particle also change the other then? Yeah, the short answer is yes. According to quantum theory, if two particles interact and become entangled, and then we perform a measurement on one of the particles, revealing a particular property like its spin, then the act of performing the me this measurement will instantaneously affect the property of the other particle, regardless 
of the distance between them. This instantaneous action at a distance is what Albert Einstein referred to as spooky action. Now, this spooky action goes by the technical name of non-locality, meaning that what happens in one region of space-time has an immediate, immediate effect on another region of space-time. This idea of non-locality flies against common sense, and for a very good reason. At our scale of kilograms and meters and seconds, we're used to a principle called locality, which is the idea that what happens in one space-time region has no immediate effect on another distant region of space-time. In fact, according to the findings of the theory of general relativity, it has no effect until an elapse of time that can't exceed the, the velocity of light, which travels at approximately 300 kilometers per second. So, for instance, it will, it will come as no surprise to your audience if I tell them that if you and I were to stand roughly a kilometer apart, and I were to say hello to you using a bullhorn mega speaker, then there will be a delay of approximately three seconds for the sound to travel through air to your ears. This is an example of the principle of, lo of locality in action. This is our everyday experience. But evidently, quantum mechanics doesn't adhere to this common sense principle of locality because quantum mechanics doesn't allow the analysis of the world into different space-time regions. One of the founding fathers of quantum mechanics, uh, Niels Bohr himself, insisted on the idea of the indivisible nature of quantum phenomena. And there's no greater poster child of this quantum weirdness than quantum entanglement itself. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Peter, for being on the show. It was a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for having me on. That was uh, Dr. Peter Caradona, um, who, like we mentioned earlier as well, com completed his experimental dissertation in 2011 in matter-antimatter interaction at the University um, of uh, Australian National University, um, called uh, Canberra, Australia. He completed postdoctoral positions at the Max Planck Institute in Heidelberg, Germany. Um, last year, Dr. Peter was granted a UK global talent visa and is now applying his uh, theoretical knowledge to help guide uh, simulations and experiment um, in a newly formed multidisciplinary group. Um, and uh, he was giving his uh, information um, about, uh, uh, about that as well. So, Summer, we have with us um, our next guest for the show. Um, uh, this guest, uh, her name is Sayyida Maliha Manahil. Um, Maliha has uh, a Bachelor in Cognitive Studies from University of Toronto. She is a life devotee and volunteers for um, Muslim Television Ahmadi International MTA uh, Canada Studios in Productions. Maliha has a keen interest in, in studying the Holy Quran and its connection to science. Uh, good morning, Maliha Manahil, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, so, uh, basically, if you could just start by, by introducing yourself and um, uh, tell us about what sparked your interest in, in, in this topic. Right. Um, so, my introduction, I think you've already given a pretty good one. Um, so I'll gloss over that. Uh, in terms of interest, um, my interest in this really developed when I was younger. And it was motivated by my older sister. 
Um, so I think I was around 12 years old, uh, and the older sister is very much a person who loves science and is very passionate about it. When I was younger, she would always do whatever she could to try and nudge me towards the sciences and develop my interest in it. Um, and one of her motivators for being so passionate about science was actually religion. Um, and one of the things that she told me when I was little has always stuck with me and has been one of the reasons why I've continued to develop my knowledge uh, and develop my interests. So what she told me when I was younger was that Islam really heavily uh, encourages Muslims to pursue knowledge. And in fact, the Holy Quran encourages Muslims to examine the world around us mm-hmm. and to really investigate and try to try and discover the way that the world works. And one of the reasons why the Holy Quran does this is because it's almost uh, put forth as a proof or an argument for the existence of God. So the Holy Quran says that um, if you examine the world around you, if you learn the way the world works, if you look at the way the world has been organized and structured in a very methodical and wise manner, uh, that will bring you to the conclusion that the world wasn't created without a purpose. Uh, the fact that it's been so methodically laid out indicates that it was created by someone and for a purpose. So that was, that's one of the reasons why the Holy Quran encourages this so much. So my sister told me when I was little that if you investigate science, if you try and figure out how things work, um, then not only uh, will you be gaining secular knowledge, but you'll also be gaining religious knowledge. Because the Holy Quran additionally says that those people who try and discover uh, things, and these those people who go down this path, uh, God actually encourages them and grants them success. So not only do they gain knowledge about the world, but they also are given knowledge about God himself. Um, so in that way, investigating science almost becomes a form of worship. And that's the one thing that has stuck with me since I was little. So any chance I get to develop my interest and to really learn more uh, about natural phenomena uh, and to keep up with new discoveries, I always take that opportunity. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, Maliha, um, the Quran mentions the creation of of living and non-living objects in in pairs. Can you um, kindly elaborate on this? Um, Sure. Uh, so, like you mentioned, uh, pairs are mentioned often in the Holy Quran, um, and the second head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, he actually uh, said in one of his speeches that um, one, this is one of the three scientific principles that the Holy Quran actually expounds on. So, the principle, the scientific principle is specifically this, that uh, the Holy Quran mentions that everything has been created in pairs. And uh, with our current scientific knowledge, I think everyone can agree that that seems to be the case. Uh, when it comes to living things, uh, pairs are often needed for reproduction, whether it's in vegetation or with animals. Uh, when it comes to non-living things, um, we can see pairs again, uh, most notice, uh, noticeably in matter. Whenever matter is created, there's always an antimatter pair that is created with it. That's just scientific knowledge now. Um, other than those two examples, the Holy Quran also mentions pairs when it comes to spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, 
although this is a non-spiritual example, but heaven and earth are also mentioned repeatedly as a pair mm. in the Holy Quran. Yes. And one of the reasons is just because if you didn't have rain coming from the heaven, there wouldn't be any vegetation or life growing uh, on earth. In the same way, if you didn't have the sun for light and warmth, we wouldn't have life on earth again. Mm. Um, and then the Holy Quran also uses that as a metaphor for the soul. Um, so the soul requires spiritual light from God in the same way that our eyes require light from the sun to see. So spiritual truths and verities come directly from the light of God. Mm. Um, and our souls definitely need, the Holy Quran says, we definitely need spiritual light for certainty about the belief of God. Indeed. Um, the more interesting thing is that the Holy Quran itself also uses pairs. So what I mean is the structure of the Holy Quran. A lot of verses of the Holy Quran are similar. Um, the wording is very similar. There's maybe just a few words that are different, but they almost act like a pair where if you combine the two together, you get a new meaning or you get a deeper understanding of the subject matter. And the more interesting thing for me is that whenever there is um, a criticism or an objection or a question even about one of the things that the verses says, there's pair, other pairs of verses that kind of spring up and act as an argument or a defense for that subject matter. Hmm. So this like internal structure of the Holy Quran also uses pairs, which is really interesting. So you've mentioned um, a lot about the, about pairs and how spirituality and um, the Holy Quran and heaven and earth are all in pairs. Um, could you uh, shed a bit of light on, on what you think about are souls also made in pairs? Um, yes, definitely. Um, the Holy Quran does mention that souls are created in pairs as well. Um, and from what I've researched, um, Islam does seem to believe in the idea of soulmates. Although what I will say is I think uh, our general idea of soulmates nowadays is more in a, a romantic sense. Um, I don't think Islam believes in that. Um, but it does definitely put forth the idea that um, there is a... There are souls that are similar to one another, and when they come together, um, they live more peacefully. Um, it also says that soulmates can be, uh, it can be um, two males, it can be two females, it could be a male and a female. And so it really reinforces the idea that it's not in a romantic sense at all. But um, the idea of a soulmate is essentially that when the two, to, when the two come together, um, they function as a whole. So you guys were talking about entanglement earlier. Um, when it comes to entanglement, um, it's said that the two particles be sometimes become so entwined with one another that you can no longer describe one without having to describe the other. They're that closely linked. So I guess the idea of a soulmate in Islam is similar um, in that when, when the two come together, they support one another in such a beautiful manner they come together, so if one is lacking in a certain quality, the other soulmate has an abundance of it. So when the two come together, they come, they create a complete whole. Oh. Indeed. Um, thank you very much, Maliha, for, for uh, shedding light on our questions. Um, it was nice to have you on the Voice of Islam radio, and um, God willing, we can, we can speak to you again in the future as well. Um, thank you very much and may the peace, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. So dear listeners, that was um, uh, Sayyida Maliha Manahil, um, who has a Bachelor in Cognitive Studies from the University of Toronto. She is a life devotee and volunteers for MTA International Canada Studios in Productions. 
um, and she has a keen interest in studying the Holy Quran and its connection to science. Um, Sayyidah Maliha Manahil has actually covered the Islamic part of um, the segment for us. So that will take us straight on to the thir third segment for today's uh, show, which is parents are caring too much about their child's milestones. Is it causing unintended setbacks and stress? Um, if we quickly look at um, the gist of the story, um, if we if we scroll through uh, parenting feeds on 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 social media, um, you'll soon come across uh, to a so-called milestone cards, pastel colored cards marking a baby's first attempt at crawling, sitting up, or walking, along with their age. Um, it's not just on social media that development milestones have become something something to celebrate or, or, or stress over. Uh, one recent poll, for example, found that around 6 in 10 US parents uh, worried about their babies meeting their developmental milestones. But few know um, what should, should happen when. Mm -hmm. it, it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, we can see uh, so many people um, worrying about these so-called milestone, milestones, and that's why it's called so-called as well, because uh, it's um, everyone has a different age for whenever they start maybe talking, crawling, walking. Some some babies um, don't crawl uh, that much mm. and start walking straight away. Yeah. For other babies, they might crawl for a long time uh, and then start walking. Um, but but yeah, we'll we'll sp speak about this with with, uh, with our you've, guests. You've got you've got experience with that with your little ones, obviously. We'll yeah, no, no exactly. So I mean, it, my, my myself, I've got two little ones. My my brother has two little ones. My my closest uh, cousin that we always meet, they have two little ones as well. And it's just about you. You can see they they're all around the same age, isn't my, it? My baby walked first. My baby crawled first. Is that what happened in, in the house? <laughs> no, no, we, we no, we we know we we've done uh, we've done research on this show, isn't oh, yeah, it? So we know we know what's what. Um, but yeah. We'll, we'll speak about this uh, in more detail, uh, of course, throughout the course of the last uh, half hour for the show. Um, but we do have with us on the line uh, Iman uh, Amanda Ruggeri, uh, formerly a BBC senior journalist and the editor of science website BBC Future. Um, Amanda is a multi-award winning freelance science and fe uh, features uh, uh, features writer uh, based in Switzerland. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for being with us today. Um, Amanda, we're talking about these so-called uh, milestones and how maybe parents are worrying or uh, caring too much about these things and how that can actually have some unintended harm um, rather than a positive effect. So the first question that we wanted to ask you in this regard was, what are some typical misunderstanding uh, misunderstandings that parents have regarding developmental milestones uh, within children? Yeah, there are a few, and I think one of the biggest is is this idea that if a child reaches a milestone early, it's a sign of some particular talent or aptitude. Mm. Or for that matter, if a child kind of you know doesn't reach the milestone or early or on time, that might mean that the child is you know quote unquote deficient in some way. And I think you know as parents, we already tend to worry about our kids. And this extra layer of thinking that milestone predicts something about your child's future or how your child will per will perform vis-a-vis -vis other kids can really lead to extra feelings of pressure and stress and anxiety and maybe some of that competitive 
competitiveness um, that you alluded to just now. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important to highlight, you know, this really isn't what milestones are meant to be. They're not supposed to be another way for parents to panic or to one-up each other at birthday parties. Um, you know, at the most basic level, they are a screening tool to see whether a child is at a risk of developmental delay or if there might be some kind of broader potential problem underlying things. Um, so, you know, delayed speech can be a symptom of autism, for example. Um, and milestones are also important because each one builds on the next. So, for example, you know, by working muscles during rolling, a baby is better to set up to walk later on. Um, but they don't show us necessarily something intrinsic about that child's potential. And I think that's where a lot of us really get it wrong. Yeah, yeah no, no, most certainly. Um, and also, what are some strategies uh, that parents may use to encourage uh, their, ch- their child's development without obsessing over reaching particular milestones? <laughs> It's a balance, right? It's not an easy one. And I will I will caveat it by saying I am a science journalist. I'm not a pediatrician or a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. So this is not medical advice. But what I can say from just looking at the scientific literature that we do have is that the first step, just simply being aware of what milestones roughly happen when for most children is a good start because that way you are empowered as a parent to spot you know, if your child isn't quote unquote on track with the majority of other typically developing kids, and you can talk to your GP about whether additional assessment is needed or not. Um, but yeah, not obsessing is important. I think we probably all experience the fact that kids don't benefit from our anxiety. Um, and we also know from the literature that when we expect too much of our children um, and we push them too much towards certain goals, it can backfire. So we even see that, you know, there's a lot of props that um, that parents might use to try to help their babies reach certain milestones. So, um, you know, these like sitting containers or walkers or jumpers. And there's actually reason to think there's some evidence that some of those can potentially delay the development of the milestone that you're trying to help your baby reach. So it's important to have a balance for all of these things. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's with, uh, with life, isn't it? Anything that we do, whether it's... Uh... Uh, the things that we consume, the things that the, the amount that we exercise, anything that we do, even as adults, everything needs to be in moderation. That is, uh, moderation exactly. is absolutely key, isn't it? Um, yeah. How do social and cultural factors play in a, in a, play a role in childhood development? And and this also goes to show uh, um, and speaks about what we were mentioning earlier that uh, I I I don't know. I feel as if, especially in my family, <laughs> there's some grandparents who are like, oh yeah, well my <laughs> grandchild did this first, or he's he's yeah. better in this or whatever. I mean, I think mm-hmm. maybe in older the older generation, I think they might have that more, or maybe that's just some, something that I've experienced. I don't know. What's what's your take on that? Yeah, I think that is true. I think um, it can be a little bit old school to uh, to, to ha- have some of these ideas. And I do think the good news is that the younger generations and, um, you know, certainly the current generation of parents, we are living at a time where there's a lot more understanding, I think, of mm-hmm. how kids all do develop at different paces and that there are different ways to support different children's developmental needs. So I think things are moving in that direction, which is important. But yeah, as you say, I mean, social and cultural factors do play a role. Um, in childhood development, it's a nuanced conversation because, you know, medical professionals have generally believed that children should develop at the same way, at the same pace, no matter what culture they grow up in, and that that's especially true for motor milestones like sitting or walking. Um, But in reality, of course, you know, children in different situations have different opportunities and different expectations that might mean you might see milestones happening at different times. So one great example I came across in my research for my story was that in Tajikistan, 
it's common to swaddle babies up to the age of two years old and leave them in a cradle even when they're awake. Um, and yes, you know, they're not getting floor time and time to walk around and crawl. And so these children do acquire motor skills later than their counterparts in other cultures. But, and this is a big but, they seem to show no long-term ill effects. And also because it's a cultural practice, mm -hmm. you can imagine that people in Tajikistan aren't panicking about the lack of floor time their toddlers are getting or yeah. that they are walking later. Mm -hmm. So there's always going to be an element that is impacted by cultural practices. But I think that also doesn't mean that as parents, of course, we shouldn't do what we can to support our children's development in the context of our culture and the tools we have at our disposal. Of course, of course, most certainly. Um, and lastly, any insight uh, that you have for, for, for the parents out there who are tuning in, who are concerned about their child's uh, development and progress? Yeah, so going back to what we spoke about at the beginning of the conversation, I would just first pinpoint where your concern is coming from. So are you concerned because your child's best friend is walking at 10 months and your child who's 10 months old isn't? Mm -hmm. Or because, you know, grandma and grandpa are making comments, like you said? <laughs> or are you concerned because you've looked at the milestone list or you've spoken to your GP, you know that most children walk by 18 months and your child is 18, 19 months old and not walking? That's a much better indicator of whether there's something to be concerned about at all. And then I would say, you know, don't panic. Um, yes, developmental delays are common. And it is important to get your child support as early as possible if they do have one. But in a lot of cases, there's no underlying issue. I looked at one review of 18-month-olds who were not yet walking independently. And it found that two-thirds of them had no underlying issue. So do talk to your GP, but just try not to obsess about the worst-case scenario. And then finally, I would say, once again, that if it is the quote-unquote worst-case scenario and what you are seeing is a delay or a symptom of an underlying condition, there is a lot of help out there and there is a lot more understanding these days about all of the different developmental paths that kids take. So having a delay or a particular condition does not doom your child to mm -hmm. a lesser existence or an unhappy life. You just have to get the support your child needs and that's going to look different for every family and for every kid. Exactly, exactly. And, and we're, we're living in, a, in, an, in an age in which uh, so much support is readily available. Um, it's all about uh, utilizing that and, and uh, um, using it to the best of our abilities as well. And when, once we do so, of course, uh, we will be able to help uh, the children uh, in a far better manner as well. Uh, thank you, uh, Amanda, for that very sound uh, advice um, for, for the <laughs> listeners out there, especially for the parents um, who are worrying maybe a bit too much about these uh, so-called milestones and other such things as well. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. Thank you. You too. Thanks Thank for having you. me. Likewise. Bye-bye. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. That was uh, <clears throat> sorry, Amanda Ruggeri, uh, formerly a BBC senior journalist and the editor of science website Future, uh, BBC Future. Um, Amanda is a multi-award winning freelance science um, and uh, uh, features a uh, featured writer based in Switzerland, and she was sharing her thoughts with us um, in that regard. Um, Mobile is just really quickly before we go on to our next guest. Um, what is a uh, tiger parenting, and uh, what harms uh, do we ex uh, can we expect uh, f from uh, uh, ignoring our children uh, and their c c capabilities, um, and what that can cause as well? So, uh, tiger parenting is is another word for uh, strict parenting, uh, made for high achieving children, basically. 
Um, so studies also show that the parents who follow the tiger parenting methods, um, they believe that the strict parenting methods in, in, in fact benefit children by making them succeed in the future. Um, you know, s- some parents who use this tiger parenting strategies, um, they seem to set, set a, a, a very high bar for their child. This way, um, the child... Uh, seems to learn to work and uh, uh, to, to, to work hard from a very young age <clears throat> and and in regards to um, you know the the harms uh, of expecting too much from your children um, you know it, it, it's known that getting attention from from uh, parents seems very rewarding for a child but you know somewhere at the same time too much attention can be harmful for the child um, you know, there are two types of, of attentions. There's the positive or negative. And the positive attention uh, is the type that is given or, or done for the benefit of, of, of your child. And this can be done in, in any form and uh, in any way. Um, thank you very much. Uh, right now we have with, our, with us uh, Sitara Baruj Akbars. So she is a Pakistani youth representative. She gave speeches and orations to large crowds and on national television at the age of five. She passed her O-levels in five subjects at the age of 11, a world record at that time. She completed her A-levels at age 13. Uh, Sitara was also permitted by the British Council to undertake the International English Language Testing System. Um, in 2011, and achieved a score of seven bands at the at the age of 11. So, Stara Brujakbar is with us right now. Uh, Stara, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessing Allah be upon you. Zakallah. So, so the first question with you is that uh, as as someone who has set multiple world records in education. Um, what advice would you give to to the young students? Um, I was just listening to Amanda speak earlier, and I think I'd just echo her sentiment as well, um, to not compare kids with other kids. So not only parents do that, children tend to do that themselves as well, especially in the digital era where we have access to social media constantly and mm-hmm. we're looking at um, other people's achievements and all that. So um, don't look at other people, have your own goals in front of you and look at the path in front of you rather than, okay, um, I'm going to divert my attention here and there. So having, um, I've seen children with boundless potential, but they come under stress um, by comparing themselves to others. So it's like the sun and the moon, um, they each shine at their own time. So we can't mm-hmm. really say a person achieved this milestone. For example, I did mine maybe at an earlier age than other kids did, but that doesn't really mean anything in comparing to other kids. Each one has their own potential and everyone's gifted by God. Um, some of us just need to explore other opportunities. So having that faith, I guess, for kids that you were born at a specific time for a specific greater purpose um, and believing in yourself and um, doing hard work um, with pure intentions, I think that could be the advice that I would give. Yeah, that's a very you know good and sound advice uh, given by you, yeah. Uh, talking about you, so what influence did your parents have on your success today? Um, and wh- and what point uh, did they realize your potential and your uniqueness? Uh, for me, my parents, um, I believe that they've been the greatest blessing that God has given to me because they've always been um, 
uh, supportive of me and of what I want to achieve and what I want to do. So whenever I said, okay, mom, I want to be a scientist and I want to be a diplomat and I want mm-hmm. to, um, you know, be a youth ambassador and all that. So she'd never say, oh, no, this is impossible. You have to do one thing or you have to specialize in this particular thing or you can't um, do so. They were always um, very, very supportive and it did encourage me. So when someone, we see someone who's an adult and has been able to achieve their dreams and they believe in themselves, usually the parents were there who believed in them first. And um, for me, my parents realized that from a very early age, and for all of my siblings, um, mm-hmm. I think those who are younger than me, they're, they're smarter, they're sharper, and they, <laughs> they, they have achieved more even in less time. So it, I, I think we owe it all to our parents. Yeah, yeah it does happen. So, so lastly, um, what are your goals for the future? I mean, I have too many to um, <laughs> even even say, but I, the main goal is to serve humanity, and I think um, that's what life should be for more, all people and for mm. all children, especially. So, I hope to um, do research. I'm currently studying at Oxford, and as a part of my studies, I'm doing research into CLL um, mm. and other forms of blood cancer. So, I hope to do that and. Um, the other sort of aspect to it is I want to promote research and education in my country. So I hope once I'm done with my um, studies here, I'll be able to go back to Pakistan and mm-hmm. um, help more girls achieve their dreams, inshallah. Uh, thank you very much, um, uh, Sitara. You gave us a very you know, good and adv- uh, sound advice that uh, one need to you know, explore his own abilities. And lastly, you said that um, your goal is to serve humanity. I think that's the best thing one can do. Uh, for his nation and for his people especially for for the religion as well uh, thank you very much for being on the show um, so that was Tara Bruj Akbar uh, who is a Pakistani youth representative she gave speeches and orations to large crowds and on national television at the age of five she passed her O-levels in five subjects at the age of 11 um, she completed her A-levels at the age of 13 uh, Sitara was also permitted by the British Council to undertake the International English Language Test in 2011 and achieve and achieved a score of seven bands at the age of 11. Yeah, some some very interesting yeah. uh, um, uh, things that we heard from that conversation and uh, uh, quite a few uh, uh, world uh, records as well. Certainly, uh, yeah. very good uh, achievements that we've seen here. Um, <clears throat> we did speak with uh, Dr. Stuart Shanker, um, who uh, who spoke about this topic as well. Uh, we'll be listening to that now. Dr. Stuart Shanker um, is a distinguished research for, uh, professor emeritus of uh, philosophy and psychology, uh, the founder and visionary of the Meherit Center uh, Limited, the author of various books, um, for instance, Calm, Alert and Learning, Classroom Strategies for Self-Regulation in 2012. Um, and then the latest one is Reframed uh, from 2020, Self-Reg for a Just Society. And this is the conversation that we had with him. Well, thank you for joining us, Dr. Stewart. Uh, my first question is, how can parents avoid putting too much pressure on their child to achieve certain milestones? Uh, I assume that the reason why you're asking me that question, uh, and in fact, the reason why you called me, is because parents in the UK, like parents everywhere, are seeing a mental health crisis in their teenagers, um, and we're seeing this around the world. Uh, It is an explosion of anxiety 
and depression, uh, and uh, sometimes um, a total lack of interest or motivation. And so uh, the traditional role that uh, we parents have always had of encouraging our children to do well in school, uh, to get a good job, um, these are in the at the moment, these are not our priorities. Our priority is what are we supposed to do as parents to get our children happy and mentally well again? Uh, so the priority is changing. And our priority today is to understand why is this happening to my, to my child? And what can I do? How can I help my child? so that they want to do well in school, so that they want to have a long and happy life. Um, I assume that I'm correct in what I'm saying so far, Douglas. Yes. Okay. So there are three main causes for why we are seeing this crisis today. The three causes are, the first one is um, that the stress, is incredibly high, uh, and uh, we would <laughs> your listeners need to uh, take read one of my books to understand what stress is. It's a complicated thing, but basically, we know that things like COVID have been huge stress for kids. Um, global warming is a stress. The economy is a stress, and so on. But there have been other times in history when, you know, a, a, cult, a society has had very high levels of stress, yet they have not seen the kind of mental health crisis that we are seeing in our teenagers. So that leads us uh, to uh, recognize that there are two further factors involved. These two factors are critical if parents are going to help their kids. The second factor is what is called maladaptive ways of self-regulating. Now, self-regulation is simply, it simply refers to how we manage stress. Uh, we have in the brain, there are all kinds of mechanisms that uh, manage stress, and we learn as we grow older how to manage stress. So, for example, cold temperatures are a stress, and as the child gets older, they learn that if they put on a hat and coat and gloves, that their body doesn't have to work as hard, that they have energy to that they can use for school or that they can use for sports or music. So when we talk about a maladaptive way of self-regulating, what that means is that instead of managing their stress, the child is seeking a quick, a, a quick shot of energy and um, to sort of uh, dull the pain that they're in or the anxiety that they're in. What they are seeking is something called dopamine. 
It's a brain chemical. Unfortunately, in the modern world, virtually every business you can think of has figured out ways to trigger dopamine in children, in teenagers especially. So a video game or social media, even food, these have all been designed to trigger dopamine. So what dopamine does is it gives the kid that momentary feeling of energy, that momentary, uh, that momentary burst of not noticing their pain or whatever. But it's maladaptive because it hasn't done anything to, to address the stress in the first place. The stress is still there. It's still causing, uh, uh, various effects deep in the brain. And the dopamine that the child is seeking out masks that for a moment. But then when the effects of the dopamine wear off, the stress is just as great. So that's the second reason, and it's a big one for parents. Parents have to now learn, is my child turning to some form of dopamine to get through the stresses? And is that, is that actually making the problem worse? In fact, it's called dopamine hijacking and it does make the, it makes the stress worse down the road. So that's the second one. And that's a big reason why we're seeing this crisis. Now, the third reason is the one that parents want to pay attention to. The third reason is that there is a chemical in the brain that turns off the stress response. That chemical, that neurochemical, is called oxytocin. So it's a very interesting question for us, for scientists. Why are kids, why are these teenagers that are so anxious or that are depressed or have no motivation, why aren't they getting enough oxytocin? We know that they are, we know that they're resorting to, to unhealthy ways of dealing with stress. Why aren't they doing the healthy way? Well, what is the healthy way? That's the interesting question. What triggers oxytocin? The answer is that we have, for example, we have little receptors in our skin that when our skin is gently stroked, it releases oxytocin. A soft voice releases oxytocin. A hug releases oxytocin. I had a very interesting case just yesterday. I have an 18-year-old with ADHD, and he's very, very upset. Uh, but he's learned that when he feels that way, to come to me to get a hug. And it calms the system down because it releases that oxytocin, which turns off the stress response, turns off the neurochemicals, in this case they're called neuropeptides, that are, that are the source of the problem. So what does the kid need? Well, for a teenager, they need other teens, they need their peers, and we know that this has been one of the big problems with COVID, uh, that 
that, you know, they've had to shelter in place and they don't get, you don't get from social media what you get from being with your friends, from holding hands, from, from listening to each other's voice. You need what's called proximal, uh, in close contact. But the other big thing they need is mom and dad. They need their parents and their grandparents and their aunts and uncles not to lecture, not to push. In a crisis like what we're seeing, what they need is oxytocin. What they need is they need the same thing today that they needed when they were little children. What they need from us is for us to turn off their stress response because they can't do it for themselves. Now, Danya, I want to mention one last thing that they that parents need to be aware of. Teenagers need to learn to do this for themselves. Teenagers need to learn about the dangers of dopamine hijacking. They need to learn to recognize when they're overstressed and why they're overstressed. They need to become, they need to, be, to take over their own self-regulation. So what we have done is we have designed a game that they can play. It's called the Stress Detective. And parents can download that from our website, um, which is self-reg.ca. The team needs to learn what's happening in their brain and their body. So one of the questions that you guys asked me was, what is the milestone that we should be focusing on at this particular moment in time? And the answer is healthy ways of self-regulation, healthy ways of dealing with your stress so that when they become young adults, they will have the energy that they need to have a family, have a good job, have a good life. It all comes down to learning how to deal effectively in healthy ways with the stresses that today are really quite severe. Okay, does that answer your four questions, Tanya? Yes. That does. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. It's important what you're doing, so keep it up. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So, dear listeners, that was um, a pre-recorded uh, interview with uh, with Dr. Stuart Shankar. Um, this actually brings us to the end of the show, and I would just like to remind all of our dear listeners to um, remember to pray for your children and for their future. Uh, so that they have a very blessed future and a very blessed uh, hereafter as well. Um, I would like to thank um, all of our listeners for tuning in, our experts for taking the time out to discuss the topics, and our producer, Sizratul uh, Muntaha, researchers Anusha Nasir, Sabah Ijaz, Komal, Sara, and Amtul Kafi, and obviously our technician, Brother Akib. Uh, listen to the Voice of Islam radio tomorrow as well, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, which takes us on to the 9 o'clock news.